Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I interview photographer John Dowell. Earlier this year, I viewed his work during his solo exhibition at the Lawrence Miller Gallery in New York City. I had to intently study the images to grasp the stirring narrative hidden within the beautiful images of cotton growing in fields. His work educates and reminds many of the hardships cotton brought upon black communities over the past 400 years. This includes communities within New York City. His photography is beautifully engaging, yet reveals a disturbing reality that Wall Street was once the site of a historic slave market, and that Seneca Village, a black community that included dozens of homes, churches, and a school, was stolen and demolished to build Central Park. John Dowell's work, in a unique yet bewitching manner, reminds us of a dark past of our history that cannot and should not be erased. Thank you for joining my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast and enjoy John Dowell's narrative. Good morning, John, and welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I appreciate you joining me uh, today, this morning. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, yes, yes. And you're my first Zoom interview. <laughs> so. <Uh-oh. laughs> So I hope my listeners uh, understand that during this time of this virus that um, I'm now using a different tool. So the quality could be different, but um, at the end of the day, uh, the mental stimulation that we provide will be the same. So um, I first really began to appreciate your work after I visited the uh, opening you had in Manhattan, the Lawrence Miller Gallery. And I was feel like I was fortunate because you were there to basically do a curated walkthrough of your exhibit. So it was very informative, very educational. So that's what inspired me to ask you to join the podcast. So before we dive into that body of work, um, share with us, you know, when in your life did you realize that you enjoyed being a creative, and when you realized you are indeed an artist. So let, let's start there. Well, that goes back early on. Uh, first of all, that uh, I have an older brother named Lorenzo, and uh, he's a year and a half older. And so whatever he did, I did when I was, when I was you know, very young. So he copied uh, comic books and uh, cartoons, and so I did also. And around the fourth grade uh, in school, um, one of the teachers said, uh, 
we need somebody to make a backdrop. And I said, do you have a picture of a backdrop? Because then I could make one. So they did, and I made a, a very nice backdrop. And everybody patted me on my head and said, wonderful. And I became someone. And that was the beginning of the end, because I got patted on my head. <laughs> was your brother jealous? No, he just said, well, go ahead. Actually, he's, by the time of sixth grade, he had stopped. And I was going to school art league, you know, and uh, it was uh, really, I really enjoyed it. And it was, it was my ticket out of the neighborhood because I had to take uh, a bus and two buses to get to, this, to the art school at, at Ninth and Catherine. And, and up until that time, I was never out of my block except to go to school, which was just straight up the street. Wow. So it was, I mean, uh, it was my way out. But once I got to art school, I really liked it. I met a whole other group of people, and it was just wonderful for me. And it's been that way ever since. That's great. You actually, you taught for a while, right? Oh, a while. <laughs> I taught at Temple University for 42 years. I taught at uh, Indiana State for two years. I taught at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana for three years. Fantastic. And, and your students, I know you, were, you focused and you, you taught mainly, um, was it printmaking? Yes, that's yes. correct. Did you, did you also want to help them in terms of realizing who they who they are, who they were, how they thought, and how to take that and express themselves in their art? Yeah, well, uh, there's two things. Very early on, I my concern in teaching was teaching structure and not a style. Uh, so understanding about space and composition, and I did things early on by uh, having a record player uh, in those days uh, in the classroom. And I would play John Coltrane or uh, Archie Shep or, uh, or Philip Glass or, uh, or John Cage, showing structure, ideas about how one puts an idea and a concept together. And so that became important. Then in 1975, I'm pretty sure I taught the first organized class in this country, uh, the business of art for art students. And, um, and as a matter of fact, I have students who are teaching that same course, you know, all over the country. You know, wow. From that. Wow. That's great. Yeah, that's really important. So do you have memories of getting really absorbed into your work that led to your recent body of work that focuses on uh, cotton? And I know back in 2016, uh, I'm sorry, 2018 at the African American Museum in Philadelphia, um, you had a show titled Cotton, the soft, dangerous beauty of the past. Share with us how, you know, if you can connect 
intellectually how you began to focus on cotton? Well, it was sort of strange in that in 2011, in September, I had a show uh, at the Telefair Museum in Savannah. And this is a show that was going to be showing my cityscapes. And uh, at that time, about three months, I'm negotiating back and forth, you know, how that is, you know, how you're going to get this there, that, the framing and everything. I started having dreams about my grandmother. And after about the second or third dream, and I would have to say my grandmother had been dead for over 45 years. <laughs> That's spooky. Yeah, and so uh, I called, uh, you know, I have four living sisters and a brother. And so I started calling them saying, have any of you been dreaming about Big Mommy? And everybody says, no, no. So then I had a few more dreams. And then I called another sister, one of my sisters, and she said, I don't know what you're doing but you're doing something. You better pay attention to Big Mommy because you know she did not play and it's serious. So you better go back to sleep and figure out what she's <laughs> talking about. And then, it, you know, I started having memories of being very small and uh, about four, three, four, and she's telling me stories and stuff. And, you know, they wore those, she wore these big, house dresses and she sits like on a chair and you're standing up you know, with your arms around her as she sits and uh, she tells stories about cotton and and I said cotton okay and that's what I was thinking then it was another dream something like that and so I said you know you don't play with big mommy I called a farm agent in Savannah and got the name of three farmers and and the first one uh, was sort of shocked that I wanted to photograph cotton. But I said, well, you know, I've just been in uh, South Dakota and I photographed corn. And he said, live corn? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes, live corn. And uh, so I went to meet him and everything. And it was and the other interesting thing was that he had a daughter who had just graduated from art school with a major in photography, which is to me is strange to find, you know, uh, a cotton grower, a white cotton grower in, you know, near Savannah uh, with a daughter, you know, graduating from art school, you know. So, but anyway, uh, I went. And it was a little nerve-wracking going because I'm looking around. I'm not seeing, I'm driving 35 miles out of Savannah, and I don't see any black people. I don't, well, you're not seeing hardly anyone, tell you the truth. And so, but I got there, and it was interesting. And he was, he introduced me to his family, and of course, his daughter was there. And she just wanted to see what I was going to do, photographing cotton, which she'd been around all her life, which she had never thought about photographing it, even though she was a photography major. So um, he told me a lot of stuff and showing me things. And finally, uh, she had to tell, she said, Dad, he's not a botanist. He's an artist. Let him shoot. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. 
<laughs> so at lunch, so they said, we'll give you a little lunch and, you know, um, and you can go on this field and that field and this field and that field because they know you are here, which was very clear to me, you know. And so, uh, but in the course of the lunch, he said, this property has been in my family for over seven generations. Mm. And that like took me out because I felt my grandmother had taken me to a place where my ancestors had, some of my ancestors had been, you know, it was like really clear to me. And, and I'm trying to hold it together. Like, you know, I'm not going to tell him that. I don't say that, you know. So, but anyway, I went and photographed uh, that, uh, that afternoon. Then I came back the next day. And, and when I left that afternoon, I had to go to a Walmart and buy me some boots and some thicker pants because I had tripped a little bit and fallen my clumsy self. And uh, it was, uh, you know. Oh, my God, yes, because this, I was in a field that was more or less getting close to being ready to be picked. It had been defoliated already and was like halfway through that stage, which means that uh, the leaves are then are, are shriveling up and it's getting, you know, and so it's when it's picked, the leaves are gone. You know, and or they they're like they're brown, dark brown and stuff. And then the pods are beginning to open. When those pods open up, they're really sharp. You got to really know what you're doing to pull the cotton out without you know injuring yourself. Mm. So, but anyway, so armed with my boots and stuff, I came back the next day with shooting. And then in the afternoon, I, something came over me. Like I just. I I just felt my grandmother was all over me, and I just cried and cried. Wow. And even thinking of it now, it's still a very emotional thing, you know. So, but anyway, so that's how it began. And I started photographing in cotton uh, to just, in a way, I was documenting. It was, like, beautiful. I mean, I had never seen cotton except in a book, you know. And so, and I'm from the city. I don't know, you know, I photographed some, uh, you know, some crops, but never like this. And uh, at, uh, so I wanted to capture showing like, like how sharp or dangerous was to deal with a certain way. So I shot like detailed shots of pods, pods opening and I shot things in field and stuff. And then, and then it, so it started this process of like having every time I went to photograph, because I did three days there, and then when I came back, um, I wanted to photograph some more cotton. I felt like I didn't understand it enough, and so I, I started going to Virginia to photograph, and then South Carolina to photograph. And um, I'll never forget, one, one morning on my way, and this was in Virginia, I was going to a place, and I had an appointment and uh, to uh, go uh, to a farmer's place, but I was meeting an agent because I, you know, this is the South. I didn't kid myself. You know, I mean, I would call a farm agent and sometimes a farm agent would take me to uh, a farmer's place or I got information. They knew I was coming and somebody would meet me, you know, so I'm driving, following directions. I come over this hill and all of a sudden, and I know I'm going to have to take a left hand turn. I come up this hill and I see a field 
where I have a 180 degree view of this field and it's solid cotton. Wow. And I just like, just flipped me out. I, bet I pulled it the car over and stopped and said, oh my God, what would I have done if I had to face this at five o'clock in the morning all of my life with no hope of getting out or in? So that's what happened. I started going through these things where it became personal to me. Like, how would I respond to it? Would, you know, would I run away? Would I have had the courage? Could I, you know, what could I have done? So those kinds of things made me develop all kinds of images. And then I, uh, then after that, you know, I was doing some reading, of course, about finding out uh, how at certain times uh, the slaves were really driven hard to work. And, uh, and they had overseers who were not very human at all. And, uh, and sometimes slaves died in the field hmm. and they wouldn't let them stop to deal with that. And, you know, uh, they had to keep picking. So then I started making images of spirits coming up out of a field and I started building things together. My brain took over. And as I imagined things, I went from what was actually there and to taking what was actually there and reforming it and creating a sort of surrealistic um, idea, imagined idea, you know, of the past and, and what, you know, a slave would see in the sense that, you know, uh, of course, we figure when one is in terror, one can imagine things, you can do things. And then also you're very sensitive to things, too, because a lot of us were born with what we call the veil over the eyes. So you had perception. You can see there was another sense you were there. And that kept a lot of us alive. Mm-hmm. So. So that's how that's how it got started, and then, oh my God! Then another day in New York, because I've also been photographing a lot in Harlem and in New York. Uh, I uh, we went by my lady and I went by a uh, historical society, and on the shelf there was a book called Slavery in New York City. I said, "Well, wait a minute! I've been taking risk in my life going down south photographing cotton. You telling me there's slavery here?" The woman said, oh, yeah. She says, yeah. I said, we had a show in 2005 and stuff. So I didn't know that. And so uh, I bought the book. And that's when I discovered Seneca Village and, you know, Wall Street, you know, at, at, you know, at Pearl and Water Street, where it was the second largest slave market in the entire country, you know. And then I discovered about Washington Square. You know, that, you know, we inherited Washington Square first. And, but we were, you know, in around 1644, there was an Indian War going on. So they got 11 to 15 indentured servants. The West End Company was uh, allowed to get property and and to farm and stuff. And uh, because it was a buffer zone between the Indians. So. Anyway. Yeah. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't you. mean to get carried away no, with no, all no, of that. No, 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 no. You, you shared exactly <laughs> what, what I wanted you to share. So the recent body of work, you have images from Seneca 
village from yes. the park and also Wall Street. Yes. So can you just share with viewers, you know, okay. your position on well, that? Yes. Yeah, well, what happened was that I found out about Seneca Village. I read about it, and then uh, the Central Park has tours, and I took a tour. And uh, on the tour, they showed us where people had lived and stuff and things like that, around roughly like uh, 82nd Street to uh, 86th Street from, you know, from the drive going over to where the 7th Avenue would be. You okay. Know, that's okay. roughly. And, and it was, it's, it spilled out a little bit beyond those too, but that's where the major concentration was. And uh, the first uh, settler, the first one to purchase was Andrew Williams in 1825. But then two or three days later, a number of people from the AME church and uh, a number of other people also purchased land because, uh, you know, it was difficult to get land from black people and stuff, and they wanted to be away. So what happened was that it was very difficult being downtown and living as blacks, very, you know, horrible living conditions and you weren't exactly treated with love, so they were running away. So what I did was that uh, I got a copy, and uh, they wouldn't sell me a map, so I told them to hold it up, and I photographed it, and I blew it up. And uh, I found out the locations of where buildings were. So um, once I found out the, the location, I photographed, that actual spot two years ago, three years ago, I photographed that spot. Then I superimposed an imaginary drawing or a form over where that spot was and tried to give indications that you were looking at uh, a place, a current place, but also through the eyes of the past. Mm -hmm. So I used cotton as a, as a symbol for black people and uh, they didn't have photography in those days. And so and they did have photography, but they weren't photographing structures in black sections and stuff. So I did a lot of research and I ended up sort of developing a, uh, a sort of surrealistic point of view about that spot. So uh, that's how I did, you know, uh, I photographed a number of different places. and made images of them, but, you know, superimposing cotton, a bunch of other things. So when the first time I showed it, people said, well, there was no cotton in Central Park. I know, but they were black people. So I'm trying to make you think. That's yeah. all. Yeah. So. yeah. Thanks for making us think. That's great. So I'm going to include links to your website so that people can see the, the work that you talked about. Um, I also want to ask you about a quote that I see on your website. And I want to ask you, like, where you were, what intellectual space you were in at the time that you put these words together. So I'm going to read it. And the quote is, Capture the spirit of the moment. All things may not be related, but they are connected. Well, that comes... <laughs> Okay, we give the real background of it. I've 
photographed a lot. I got to photograph in the cities because it deals with space and time. I shoot in a lot of the evening photographs of vast uh, spaces of buildings because people put lights on in the evening and then when the lights are on, I can photograph and enter the space. Okay, that's where it starts. Then what happened is that, and also I have this feeling early on, I'm feeling when I'm photographing a city and especially when I'm photographing certain blocks, I get the feeling like these buildings know a lot. There's history here. There's spirits here because somebody got shot there or somebody, you know, fell in love with somebody there. There's a whole history we don't know to, but they, but it's sort of known. It's a sense of an awareness of that. And so, so at one point, I was photographing a pretty wide area and a lot of windows and a lot of things, and and uh, but it was something like sort of like an outside in a way, and you could see people all over the place. And I'm saying like, my God, all these people are uh, are involved in their own lives. And they have nothing to do with each other, but they are. It's the same moment in time. It's the mm. identical moment in time, but we're still carrying on our, our, our things. And so it just sort of struck me that, and I had never thought about it that way at first. So that's how it, it built and came along. I hope that explains that. Yes, very well. Very well. And what, what body of work were you working on at the time? You said cityscapes? Yeah, well, I did a, I've got quite a bit, you go on the website, you'll see a bunch of photographs, especially of New York, uh, cityscapes of New York and of, of, of Manhattan and of Harlem, uh, where it's like, it's a lot of the times when the shots are in the evening and it's, uh, I, I have this thing about penetrating space. In fact, most a lot of my friends at that time said they were they were getting curtains <laughs> because they didn't know <laughs> And so I'm and I always I'm at the point of, even now when I in New York I ask somebody meet someone and say, well, uh, where do you live? What floor do you live on? Do you have a view? You know, because I'm always inquiring to go to to photograph. I like photographing from above, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'll do 30 stories, but 20 is cool, 20, between 10 and 20, I'm, I'm on it, because I can then photograph a person, and the person has a presence, after that, it's too big, the person doesn't have a presence, and I, I, and I want the viewer to sort of identify, and also give a view that a lot of people don't see, right. many, many people don't see from that from that height and or do they pay attention because most of these people who had the apartments I photographed from they never looked out the window the way I look out the window you know I know your work is amazing I appreciate it very much so this is um our last question and um you know your work is very profound it's it's educational it's informational and it's strong uh, it reaches back into history to some very uh, sensitive times. And uh, with that, you know, what do you want your work to change? How do you hope it impacts the way people think 
especially think about cotton. <laughs> well, I, I would hope that it would bring about an awareness about where we have come from and not to forget it. Uh, I'll give an example. Um, when I was in, when 2011, when I first did the first photographs and I printed some and I had something hanging in my office and uh, a sophomore, a black sophomore male walked in my office and he said, what's that? I said, excuse me? He said, what's that? I said, that's cotton. Don't you recognize that? He said, no. He said, well, what's the big deal about cotton? Why are you photographing cotton? And that just sort of took me out. And that really made me saying, I've got to do this project. Mm-hmm. I've got to do this project. Because I asked him, I said, your mother, you never had, no one's ever talked to you about cotton or anything? He said, no, what are you talking about? I said, you know about the history of this country and slavery? And he said, yeah, well, sort of. And I just said, so my idea is what I would like is to, I like it. And this has occurred uh, a number of times where people see the work, they get interested and they start doing their own research and they start reflecting on how they respond to the idea of cotton and to our past. And that's my, if I can be, if I can be a stimulus to make that happen, I'm really happy. But at the same time, I'm trying to teach them about light and color and space. And, you know, cause I try to make powerful pictures. That's my job, you know? And, uh, and the fact that I can t- that I can impart information at the same time is wonderful for me. But if it's a bad picture, I'll tear it up, even if the idea is good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said that was going to be my last question, but as you were talking, I thought of one more thing. So the gal the gallerists that allow you to you know that show your work, do you think right. they connect with how the impact you want to have? Do they understand they that? Do. They do. They do. I mean, I, uh, yeah, Lawrence Miller did. He, I, it was just, I've known him for quite a while. I mean, sort of like peripherally for uh, maybe about five years, he and his wife. And then I happened to go by the gallery uh, maybe last November or October. And I said, Larry, I need to show you some stuff sometime. He said, yeah, okay, John. And so I gave him a, one of my cards, and one of my cards has had the Seneca photograph on it. That was on a Thursday. On Monday morning, he called me on the phone, and he said, uh, you had that show in Philadelphia. Do you still have the work, the framed work? I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, we need to talk. We need to talk. He says, this this sort of strikes me. There's something about this that's unbelievable. And then at one point, he visited my studio and saw the work. And, uh, you know, he really identified with it and about its being timing and the thing. But also he was just struck about the beautiful work in the sense that how I approached it, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, thank you, John. It's been great talking. And uh, thank you for sharing your perspective and the history behind your work and also opening up about uh, your relationship with 
your grandmother. That's uh, yeah. touching. It's touching. So thank you. Appreciate your well, time. Thank you. All righty. Okay. Take care. Take care now. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.